Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Mark, great to be with you again on another episode of Informed Dissent, and uh, proud to announce that we're now on Apple Podcasts, so you can find us there. Kind of exciting. We've all been waiting for. Um, Listen, you've got a new book. You've got a new book coming out in a couple weeks, and um, I read the manuscript. Uh, it's going to be intense. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pushback. Um, people that don't agree with us are going to be quite upset with what you have to say, but here's what I really wanted to talk about. Um, we're moving closer and closer and closer to these vaccines being approved for young children. And before long, um, we're going to see mandates in schools that for t- kids to attend school, uh, they're going to need to be vaccinated with one of the COVID vax. And we've been talking about masking of children and the harm that masking of children uh, causes. And we're seeing a lot of parents, especially moms now, that are starting to push back. But interestingly, there are a lot of people that are accepting this notion that when the healthcare authorities say that we must do X, that we just comply and we do X. And I just don't understand it, especially as it relates to children. It seems to me that children are at very, very, very low risk of COVID. And we have such unknowns with this vaccine that uh, parents tolerate, they seem to tolerate the kids wearing masks despite the evidence that it's harming them. You drive by any school and you see kids with masks on. Um, most schools that I'm aware of require kids to wear masks in the classrooms and parents, although they put up a fight, they're uh, continuing to allow that to happen. Are they going to tolerate now the vaccine when it's mandated? Well, of course they will. Last year when I was at the Orange County Board of Education meeting, I said that school closures, despite being the single biggest mistake up till that point in this pandemic response were widely popular among many parents. And my explanation for that from a clinical psychiatric point of view was that parents had projected, meaning they had displaced their anxiety and their fear about this virus onto their children and were self-treating by supporting the closure of schools. This is sick, it's perverse, it's abusive, it's harmful. None of it was intentional. The parents didn't want to harm their children, but they were. They were doing it inadvertently because they could not maintain their own anxiety and treat it on their own. So what you're saying is the parents, and usually it's the mom. Usually it is. Are so scared and they just don't know how to handle their own anxiety and fear that the way in which they handle their own anxiety and fear is allowing their children to be harmed. Somehow somehow masking the children alleviates their own anxiety? Exactly. Closing schools, masking children, keeping them away from each other, meaning this distancing, or as I call it, anti-social distancing, and now the vaccination campaigns, none of them have from day one ever had any scientific rationale behind them. They're all psychologically driven, at least on the, the part of the parents. There's, of course, ulterior motives up on high, power, control, money, etc. But just talking about parents now, mothers in particular, their motivation is actually quite personal. It's to alleviate their own fear and anxiety 
by controlling their child. Isn't that, isn't that in effect a, a form of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder? It's the mom that, that can't leave the house uh, in, unless she's checked the door that it's locked like five times and, and she does so because it alleviates her own anxiety. And so similarly, she has such anxiety involved with COVID around the COVID vaccine and the COVID virus uh, that she forces upon her children some solution that makes her feel better? It's an interesting way of putting it. It's like, it is a kind of form of projected OCD. You see it in parents who are scared of being alone, for example. And so they won't allow their kids to have sleepovers. They don't say, I'm afraid of being alone, honey, therefore you can't have a sleepover. They say, honey, it is so much safer for you to be here at home with mommy because you just don't know what will happen in a stranger's house. All kinds of things could go wrong. There could be a burglar. You could have a peanut reaction and then God forbid, nobody's there to treat you and you could die. You might get lost and might get dark. All these horrible things and the child says, oh my gosh, you're right. Sleepovers are scary. I better stay home here with you. It's much, much safer for me. And she says, absolutely. And then of course, mommy's happy. Child is feeling safe. It's win-win for both of them, except of course it's not. It's actually lose-lose. Mother does not learn how to tolerate being alone, and the child does not learn how to successfully navigate the unknowns of the world outside of the home. And then here we go with the vaccines. So I'm so risk-adverse, and I have so much anxiety that I would rather harm my kid by keeping schools closed and keeping the kids home uh, than allow them to go to school because I'm so nervous and I'm so risk averse because of this uh, COVID virus. And furthermore, I'm so worried and so nervous that I'm even willing to allow them to mask you and ultimately vaccinate you to alleviate my own anxiety. It's so sick, and yet it is so correct and so on point children know intrinsically that there is no need for them to be out of school wearing masks being vaccinated but because their parents are so concerned and so worried in order to help alleviate that concern that anxiety that fear on the part of their parents they will go along with it because they can see the relief that it brings their parent children want to help their parents to remain well. They don't want to inspire fear and anxiety in their parents. That's unnatural. So whatever the parents feel makes them more comfortable, the child will generally support in most cases, at least up until uh, late adolescence when they start to rebel. So how, how do you know children intrinsically know that what they're being asked to do isn't rational and doesn't make sense. How do you know that? Well, children actually are much better at sniffing out BS than adults are. They are much more reality-driven, reality-focused, because they don't have to navigate the complexities of money and politics and uh, large-scale social engineering. Uh, they know that it feels better to walk around on grass with their shoes off and to... Uh, let the rain fall on their face than it does being all bundled up with rubber shoes and hats and mittens and, and umbrellas uh, because their parents are worried that they might slip and fall or they might catch a cold. Oh. Uh, children 
have a really, really good core innate understanding of what basic reality is. I mean, complex reality, forget it. But basics, they're really good at. They're taught to be afraid of things that they otherwise wouldn't normally be afraid of. Well, children are born to explore. Babies learn. Their, their brains are, are hungry for extra sensory experience, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting. That's, that's what they crave. That's actually how they grow. So it is innate. It is hardwired into young children to go and do as much as they possibly can. They need to be corralled into not going and doing too much. So the role of the parent is to put barriers or boundaries around children. It's not to tie them down, but it's to put limits on them. And children will intrinsically try to explore as much of the terrain as they can. Uh, and they generally, unless they have some sort of mental illness or some trauma, they will not feel anxious or fearful about exploring unless, unless their parents teach them to be afraid, unless their parents instill in them a fear that is not from nature, it is from the parent. And in that case, the child then has to navigate the fear that the parents have and try to balance that against their own intrinsic desire for exploration. And in some cases, when the parent is terribly, terribly fearful, the innate drive to explore will be overwhelmed and the child will simply retreat into a, a, a very sort of hermit-like state but not because he wants to or because it's innately driven that way. He'll do it because he has to keep his mother safe. So we're teaching our kids to be psychologically ill. So when I, see it, when I saw a kid in my office not long ago for a sports in injury, and he was wearing a mask in my office, and I told him he didn't need to do that, that he was safe and he wasn't at risk, and he told me it was okay, he wanted to keep it on, he's used to it and felt comfortable, We've taught them that fear. It's not natural. Exactly. When I have kids in my office who are wearing masks and I ask them to take it off, if they refuse, it is in almost every case because they have learned to be afraid. I don't know a single child that two, three, four years ago, if I had asked him to put on a mask and asked him how he felt with it, uh, he would have said, uh, well, I actually feel safer and more comfortable with my face covered. Uh, that, that is unheard of. I can't think of a single example. And yet now I'm seeing the numbers creeping up with children who are willing to do it. I have one child who's a boy of a friend of mine back east, who a year ago when I went to visit them, and we walked into a restaurant and we were told, put on your mask before you sit down. We all did it just because we you know, rolled our eyes. Of course, we have to play this game. He yelled, stupid mask. And his father beamed at him proudly. Well, this boy, he's now, I think, eight or nine years old. It's been a year or two. He now voluntarily wears his mask outside when he's at school, even though he's not asked to and not required. Oh, you're kidding. And his father said, why are you doing that? And he said, what? what what's, what's the deal here? You hated those masks. He said, well, you know, it just feels more comfortable now. And I don't want to be the only one that's not wearing it. I mean, maybe there's something to this. I mean, why would everybody be wearing it if it wasn't necessary? Wow. This is only a year. Only one year has passed, and this boy has been completely turned around, all because he's being, uh, not from his own parents, but from the parents of other kids and from their own kids, he's being told and shown that there's something just not quite right when you expose a face to open air. Wow. So somebody's got to stand up on the tallest building and scream out, Soylent Green is people. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We're, we're, we're deluding ourselves in believing that, these, that it's okay. 
and we're harming the children in telling them it's okay. If a child now is used to wearing a mask and feels more comfortable with one on than one off, what, what have we done? What have we done to our children and how do we fix it? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge that we, the adults, are afraid. If we pretend that we're not, then that just leaves open this, this under the table channel to vent all of our fear and anxiety without our knowledge onto our children. And that's the worst part. At least if we could acknowledge that we're afraid, then we're able to make some decisions consciously about how we deal with it. And we could even say to the kids, you know what, I'm really scared. I'm really afraid. I, I probably shouldn't be, but I am. However, that should in no way affect the way that you live. No way whatsoever. And you don't need to worry about me. I'm going to be able to take care of myself. The same thing that we do to kids when we have other problems that are adult problems. Let's say we have a marital dispute. Let's say we're married to a partner who is drunk or who's uh, abusive. We don't tell the child, you know, I'm really, really scared. Can you protect me from daddy? Can you protect me from mommy? If we're a good parent, we say, you know, I have some problems. Um, I'm going to take care of it, but you don't need to worry about me. I have a place for you to go that's going to be safe for you. I will figure this out. That helps to provide a sense of, of relief to the child so that he doesn't have to worry about taking care of his parent. But in order to do that, you have to acknowledge that you're afraid. You have to acknowledge that there's something wrong. If you're not willing to do that, then you're basically dead in the water. But they believe that they're afraid of something real that is worthy of being afraid of. That's the problem. Well, that's the second step, which is to actually look into the fear and ask yourself, is this fear grounded in reality or is it fantasy? Am I actually living inside of a true threat or am I exaggerating a threat that really is uh, minimal or non-existent? And, and that requires some work. Like a phobia. Yeah, it is like a phobia. A, a, a fear of something that, that is not actually scary or something that can harm you. If you can't get into an elevator because you're worried the elevator is going to crash, and so you end up taking the stairs every day, and you tell your child, you know, we can't take the elevator because we might die. What is that going to teach the child? Is he going to end up riding elevators as he gets older? No, he's going to be taking the stairs for the rest of his life. But if you tell the child, you know, I'm really scared in elevators because Every year, one or two people end up dying from dropping elevators. But, you know, just like planes, I also know that almost every time we're fine. So we're going to be okay. Just ignore my fear and let's get in the elevator together. Then that child is going to be able to learn, you know, it's okay to be afraid. It doesn't have to change what you do. You can acknowledge it. You can move through it. We can get into a plane even though every year one or two planes crash. But it's really unlikely ours is going to crash because we have a really good pilot. And we have that little placard in the elevator that says it was checked six months ago. And a guy that knows what he's doing actually made sure that it was safe to ride in. I can rely confidently on that. That's how you teach your children to live. You don't teach your children to be safe by giving everything up, by, by living a life that is uh, falsely free of risk. You teach your child to live a full life even when it means that it's sometimes you're going to feel a little bit unsafe because there's always a risk. Being alive is risky. That's the lesson that you need to teach your children. Now, if you don't accept that, then in my view, you really shouldn't be having children because you're just committing sin. But if you still have that problem, then you need to work on it. You need to find a therapist to help you through that because you cannot be a good parent if you cannot accept and, and honor 
the fact that to live a full life means that you do not worship the altar of safety. So at least a parent could say, listen, I've got my own anxieties and fear about elevators, and it's really uncomfortable for me to get on an elevator, even though I know intellectually they're safe. So honey, you go ahead on the elevator and I'll meet you at the top and I'll take the stairs, but you don't force your kid to take the stairs to feed your own anxiety. And that's exactly what we're doing with children in schools, with vaccinations, with, uh, with mass. Now, granted, there are some parents that truly believe that the fear is warranted based on the science or, the, or their view of the science. But the problem is they're not even acknowledging that. There is no acknowledgement that they have this underlying fear that's driving uh, the acquiescence to these healthcare authorities that say you have to mask kids and very soon we have to vaccinate kids and we have to close schools and we have to limit the number of kids that play in particular sports and so forth. There is no acknowledgement of this psychological fear that too many parents have that ultimately is driving this behavior. And so what you're saying is until there's an acknowledgement of this fear, there is no path to correct it. It's like a drug addiction. Addicts never get better until they make the decision that they want to live a full, free life, free of addiction, free of self-harm. People who are addicted to fear, and and there is a sort of addiction to this. Um, You might call it a, a safety addiction, but whether it's a fear driven addiction or whether it's a safety driven addiction, the end point is really the same. In both cases, you have to make a willful, voluntary, conscious decision that you are going to push back against your quest for safety or your, your, your hunger for fear. And you have to act in spite of it. You have to aspire towards a life that is full and a life that is not complete and replete with fear. Uh, and that requires work. It requires some, some soul searching. The easy way out is just to constantly create more and more fears. Uh, just like saying, well, I checked the door four times and it was, it was locked each time. But you know what? The fifth charm is, the, fifth time is the, the charm. It might actually wind up being unlocked on time five. Well, you could do that till infinity. At some point, you have to accept that you checked it once, it's good to go, and you're just going to spend the day wondering if maybe you screwed up. You have to have some confidence uh, in the fact that you've done what was necessary and not keep uh, redundant efforts. It sure is a lot easier just to check the door five times. It is. That day, then the next day it's 10, then it's 15, and then you have to keep coming back after you go out of your driveway just to make sure. And then it's, we got to drive back from the middle of the, the shopping just to make sure. And pretty soon, you know, you're, you're taking a trip home from Hawaii on your own because you forgot <laughs> to check the door 17 times, leaving your family behind. The problem, see, with this, you can kind of detect where this is going, is that it just, there is no end to it. Uh, and that's been the problem that I've had from the very beginning with this pandemic, that there has never been an end point. Whenever there's a crisis, whenever there's a, a a real fear, meaning a fear about something specific, concrete, that's measurable, there should always be a measurable endpoint, a value, a point in time, a number, something that we can attain where we can say from the beginning, once we hit that target, we have achieved what is considered to be an acceptable level of safety. It's like an air conditioner that's set to a certain point. You don't say, uh-huh. let's just get the house warm. Well, until what temperature? I don't know. Just let's just get it warm. 
It's 100 now. Well, you know, let's get it warm. 105, 110. No, you pick a temperature. You say, once we hit 74 degrees, we're cutting off the heat. But if you don't have that already decided, what is warm is never really going to be definitive. So what is safe is never going to be safe enough. It's all subjective. So what, what happens to the relationship, parent and child, as that child grows older and comes to the realization that what the parents have been doing have, has been a projection of their own fear? What happens to that relationship ultimately? Well, any relationship that's built on either a lie or a deception is bound to fail. Uh, it's like pouring water uh, inside of a, uh, a metallic structure. It's going to corrode from the inside out. It's going to rust, and eventually it's going to collapse, even though at the beginning, from the outside, it's going to look very strong. And I see this throughout all style and type uh, of relationship with parents and children in my practice. Parents that succeed with their children do so by being honest with them. They mix truth with compassion. If you pretend to be compassionate and use compassion as a pure tool, which is never ever tempered with truth, then you will wind up denying the opportunity for reality to be experienced by your child. And eventually, just like death and taxes, reality will arrive. You can't keep your child protected from reality forever. And at the moment where your child is exposed to the truth, he's going to turn on you. And he's going to realize that everything that he had been told throughout his entire life was either a lie, a deception, or was misinformation. And that's going to have a really traumatizing effect on the relationship. I mean, it, it's recoverable, but it's going, to, it's going to create an enormous wound. What was easy on day one and, and easy on day five becomes very, very difficult to repair when you're in year 10, 15, 20. Do you think part of the goal here is to separate parents from their children as far as relationship goes and this pandemic and the institution of masking and mandates and so forth is doing just that? Well, the Chinese discovered very, very early on with Mao that one of the most effective ways to turn a society towards dependency on a central authority, a government, was to sever the most basic connections that bind us as human beings. And those start with the parent-to-child bond. They extend into the marital bond, and then the extended family bond, and then the community, and then the city, and then the state, and ultimately the country. If you can cut off children from their parents, if you can encourage children to turn against their parents, then they will turn towards the state, just like abandoned children more frequently join gangs because they're looking to a strength. They're looking to someone, some group to offer them a way. And if they don't have a parent nearby, they're going to turn towards a higher power, whether it's a gang or whether it's a government or a bureaucrat. I do believe that there is a organized, conscious, deliberate effort to sever family ties throughout this pandemic because I think it serves the interests of the powerful and the bureaucrats and the politicians. By destroying the family, you preserve and strengthen the state. Well, we've also heard, I just uh, heard this today, maybe it was yesterday, that the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, has opened up a hotline to allow um, school boards to call in about threats that they're receiving 
from parents that are complaining about various policies. Um, you know, no no mention of of hotlines to complain about the hundreds of thousands of illegals crossing the border. Uh, no hotline uh, to describe the chaos that's going on as a result of the laws where if you steal less than $1,000, it's only a misdemeanor. No hotline to call into the FBI about the murder rate skyrocketing in the inner cities of Chicago and New York and other places. Uh, but when it comes to the parents, apparently the newest domestic terrorists, there is a hotline um, so schools, school boards, teachers can call in directly and work with the FBI when parents are getting out of hand and forcefully pushing back, complaining about various policies that, that are being inflicted upon their children. So if you want to talk about another mechanism of separating children from parents, uh, the federal government has just created one. Um, there is an article in today's paper that I read about the dramatic decrease in enrollment of public schools across the United States. The estimates are somewhere in the 6 to 8% range, and I have a feeling it's much higher than that because the data is a little bit fuzzy. And in California, California schools, public schools are funded by attendance. The more kids you have, the more funding you have. Uh, there's a bill floating around. Uh, to change that. No longer will schools be funded based on attendance because attendance is dropping like a rock. They'll use some other, fun, uh, some other funding formula to make sure that the teachers and the teachers' unions stay well-funded despite the fact that kids are abandoning schools uh, because of all the garbage that's going on from the indoctrination with the curriculum, critical race theory that I know you spoke on, uh, the draconian COVID policies that are fear-based, that make no sense, that aren't based on science, and others. And uh, they're scrambling to try to preserve that funding base, um, to use mechanisms to further separate the children from the parents. And I just don't see a light at the end of the, at the, end of the tunnel. I've heard that the homeschooling rates have doubled or even tripled uh, in the last couple of years. And for this very reason, the home is the most protected place for children to be. Uh, and I don't mean a safe space. I mean protected from the indoctrination, from the lies, from the severing of, of, of connection uh, between uh, parent and child. And if you as a institution view children being homeschooled, and you should, as a threat to your hegemony, to your indoctrination, then you're going to do whatever you possibly can, even up to and including making homeschooling illegal, which has been done in other countries, to force the child to remain at school outside of the purview of the parent, then you're going to do it. I think that this, uh, if you want to call it a silver lining, if there is one, this whole pandemic from the last two years has been the... Uh, full exposure of the disastrous evil and the indoctrination that's occurring in our public school systems throughout the country and in some private schools as well, which has riled up so many parents, made them so angry. And these are rich, poor, black, white, immigrant, Native American born, all types, all sorts of families who are now massing, organizing, and going out and speaking their mind at the school boards. And that is exactly what has provoked the shift in focus of the attorney general from policing to 
attacking regular, everyday, middle Americans who are trying to keep their children safe. It is a understandable, rational response to a growing threat to their power. And fortunately, uh, I believe that most Americans can see through it and are not going to tolerate it and they're not going to put up with it. And they are fighting back. And I find that very encouraging. Yeah, it is encouraging. And I think there is a silver lining. We're seeing it with homeschooling and the abandonment of government schools. All that is great. But that silver lining uh, for ultimately for it to come to full fruition has to be manifested at the ballot box. Um, We have to elect new leaders that stop doing this to us. And if we don't, you know, you can homeschool all the kids you want to homeschool. But if these policies don't change, then this societal decay will continue. And we, we must get those parents organized that are pulling their kids out of school the evangelicals that are refusing to have their, their churches closed, um, the flyby uh, USA America uh, that are pushing back as well, that has to be translated into, um, in, into election victories. We have to change those that represent us in the House of Representatives, in the Senate, in the White House, um, and throughout government. Uh, we, otherwise, we will no longer exist as a country uh, that we've come to love. We will no longer be the, uh, the, the democratic society that, uh, that we all enjoy, and we will be nothing more than a, another failed state, and we'll be very similar to, um, to Western Europe um, or communist China or Australia, which God forbid, um, or just any, other av- just any other average place. So hopefully that'll happen. Listen, Mark, you, it, it's great talking to you. Um, I, I love the your psychological explanation and your, your deep insight. Um, I can't, can't wait for your book to come out. What's the book going to be called? Pandemic of Fear. Maybe with a little luck. That thing will be a bestseller and will open up some eyes and, uh, and start to change the, change the ship's direction just a little bit. Even a little bit will have a powerful impact, and I'm hoping that will do that. We'll talk more about your book as it comes out. And before it comes out on Informed Dissent, an intersection of healthcare and politics, now available on Apple Podcasts. Woohoo! You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.